Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme park rides and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And this week, we'll be talking about the connections that exist, or maybe don't exist, between rides based on larger universes and the universes on which they are based. But first, hey Alice! Yes, buddy? I believe you and I both saw a film this weekend that has a connection to today's topic. That's right, I believe we did. This weekend, if you're listening in uh, along with us and not years later in some sort of archive, <laughs> this weekend in May 2018 saw the release of Solo, A Star Wars Story, the second anthology film released set in the Star Wars universe, only loosely connected to the main storyline. You know, uh, I, I imagine somebody in the far future, post-apocalyptic wasteland, uh, stumbling upon this podcast and just wondering to themselves why and how, mostly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and what Solo, a Star Wars story was, because, um, you know, what did you think of that film? I loved it. I loved, I yeah. really, really liked it. It was fun and it there was a lot of action and some romance and some twists. And I didn't know this before walking into the movie, but Paul Bettany was in it. <laughs> and I really like him. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Bettany is like a like a main character, like a, a highly anticipated main villain. And you, you found out that he was in it by uh... the second he walked on screen. <laughs> Right, right. And you were like, oh, there's a Paul Bettany. Oh, Paul Bettany's in this movie. Yeah, uh, I don't know how I missed it. I was just, I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like I like the movie uh, well enough, too. Um, there there were some little things that I was like, ah, that's, that's a little too clever by half. And most of those things were uh, what we're going to be talking about today, which is this, this idea of uh, canon and storylines that kind of exist. Um, along a bunch of different media or in a series of media that kind of have uh, their own histories and things. And and I felt like like how Han got his name, how, how his last name became Solo. I thought that was just a little too clever for its own good. I could I could practically feel the camera winking um, <laughs> as that sure. moment happened. Sure. Uh, and there were and a couple of things like that, like, um, you know, how we how Han and Lando meet and where his dice set comes from and uh the reappearance of a of a once long forgotten uh villain uh you know returning by the end i don't want to get too spoilery yeah let's not uh, let's not spoil it in case people are listening along and not from the far future um but you know the return of this villain was was very much concerned i think and and a couple of these other moments like why does Lando mispronounce Han's name? Oh, because it's like a, a joke for them. It's like an inside joke. He says Han because Han said Sabak, uh, Sabak, right? Sabak, when he said yeah. at the Sabak table. Um, so they mispronounce the letter A now, and that's like their inside joke. Ah, that's fun. I, I enjoy that. Um, and like where Han got his gun, like his specific model of gun, um, and things like that. Uh, so, Alice, what I, what I, why we bring up Solo even, because we are not, after all, a movie podcast. We are a theme park ride podcast. We definitely could be a movie podcast if we wanted to. <laughs> if we really wanted to. Is that uh, Star Wars is one of those uh, series that is very concerned with canon. Um, and canon is kind of our topic today, because I feel like, Star Wars especially has this uh, unique uh, Star Warsy thing about it, which is this obsession with what is true and what is not true in the Star Wars universe. Um, and, you know, we have these this Star Wars ride that kind of exists in, in two versions uh, that has this kind of tenuous connection to that. Um and Solo is so concerned with its place in the canon, like where exactly what year it is, like what the other characters might be doing, um, where these things come from or, or why we have them in later movies, that it almost seems kind of like a, an exercise in canon creation. Um, and that's so strange that we have a film that's like that. 
I can't really think of a, a, a different uh, or like a different time in movie making, especially in movie making where this was a thing um, where where we were really, really into creating new canon for an existing story outside of maybe like, I hate to say it, the Star Wars prequels, which were almost all about that. Um, right, establishing, establishing how certain characters know each other beforehand and where characters that we know got their starts like, like going back to do prequels and filling in this gap is not something new to star wars no um and it but it does seem pretty unique to star wars at least with other movies that that kind of get um concerned with this sort of thing uh they they might relegate this canon creation to books or uh comics or maybe even tv series I, I, I kind of remember young Indiana Jones being a thing, speaking of Harrison that. Ford characters. And that's a bunch of cheaply made straight to VHS uh, films. Very short, uh, not very high budget, not very highly publicized. Their place in canon is dubious uh, because, like, do we really need to know the story of young Indiana Jones? And here we are with this big budget uh, definitely canon placed in the universe uh, solo film, which is about the adventures of young Han Solo. And it's so strange to me that th th this parallel exists, Alice. It's, it's so, it's so weird. Buddy, I think it's going to be okay. <laughs> I, uh, okay. I, I, just, be all right. I really love Star Wars. <laughs> I, listen, I love Star Wars too, but I think we have to get back on track. <laughs> right. So Alice, um, do you want to get us started off about um, maybe maybe what you're bringing to the table here when we're talking about canon? Absolutely. I want to talk today about the importance of continuity and narrative consistency. Uh, buddy, you know this, but maybe our audience doesn't. Um, I am a uh, I am a, a publisher and an editor. And oh, I did know that. Oh, good. I'm I'm glad that you remembered. <laughs> Uh, I have my, my master's degree in, in publishing, specifically in editing, and um, as an editor, what's uh, extremely important uh, to me and to my job and, and, and things that I notice when, it, when I consume content um, is, of course, uh, continuity and narrative consistency. And this might seem like a really obvious stance to take, because who's going to say they want things to be inconsistent, right? Um, but if you're going to be constructing a narrative, whether you're writing a book or a screenplay or the script for a ride, it's important that your narratives and details remain consistent. So if you establish something about your main character in Act 1, that detail must remain consistent until the end of your final act, unless you've given your audience a reason for that detail to have changed, such as some sort of trauma or character development, something like that. Uh, now, in a ride, this kind of detail work and character arc and growth isn't necessarily, uh, like, necessary. <laughs> <laughs> necessarily necessary. Anyways, in a, in a typical theme park ride of only, like, one to four minutes long, you don't have any time to establish character or narrative consistencies, but it's very important in a ride based on an existing IP. And that's the kind of ride we're talking about today, um, about Star Tours. Uh, with an already existing canon as large as, Star, as the Star Wars universe, uh, what actions can Disney take with their rides to make sure that narratives remain consistent and that continuity is intact? And how, when they break it, which they do and we'll get to, um, how, how, when they break it, can they hide or obfuscate the inconsistencies and, and make them feel as real to the audience as canon? So are we going to ignore the inconsistencies or are we going to, uh, to embrace the in inconsistencies or try to rationalize them as part of canon? Um, or are we going to just criticize it and, and you know, demand that it be fixed and be a bunch of angry, angry fans. That's not really our style. That's not really what we're here here to do, right? But, right. you know, canon and, and the seeking of canon, I think, is an important part of being a fan. Um, but we've said the word canon a lot over the course of the last couple of minutes. <laughs> and I think it's time that we, like, 
define canon and what canon means to fans, especially of film or literature or other media, including theme park rides. So Wikipedia defines canon as oh God. <laughs> uh, the material that is accepted as officially part of the story of a fictional universe. It, it can be contrasted against fan fiction, essentially. So if there's um, non-canon works, that means they are not cr- truly part of the story. Um, alternate terms for this might be mythology, timeline, universe, continuity. Um, and these are especially prevalent in things like uh, comic books, where continuity and timeline are almost they're almost always in uh, being referenced. They're almost always in play. We're always hearing about things that happened previously, or perhaps we're resetting the timeline, as is the case with DC Comics almost all the time. Um, (laughs) Sure. Always starting over. When they reestablish a new universe, and then that universe has its own set of uh, facts that are, are or are not canon to that universe. Right, and and arguments over what is and what isn't canon have been uh, wide-ranging and uh, wide-raging for almost as long as Star Wars has been a thing. Um, I mean, for those those who revel in continuity, you've got to embrace that fact that there's, like, knowledge to be gained and that that knowledge is, like, valuable. Um, and that the knowledge contains varying degrees of validity so that there are there's canon facts that we take to be absolutely true, such as, in the case of Star Wars, the events of the films. Um, but then there are lower levels of canon that perhaps uh, have been removed, such as what are now referred to as Star Wars Legends or books that were written before the Disney buyout as part of, of Lucasfilm. The, as part of the expanded universe. Right. But those books were, at one time, accepted as canon, which is really fascinating when you think about it, that there are stories that are um, written and true to the universe that are then stricken out as untrue later, uh, to be replaced by new stories that have in turn referenced those old stories and slowly brought in pieces of the old canon. Um, it's it's really really interesting, and it's funny because um, and, and I don't I don't mean to uh, bring such a, a heavy important topic into it, but the the idea of canon I think stems from religion, specifically Catholicism. It um, does. That's exactly where the word comes from. Right. Uh, so, so people take this, I would say, very, very seriously because we're using this word that has to do with faith and truth. Um, and what is and what is not accepted as something that, that has a spiritual importance as well. And for many, Star Wars almost has that level of importance in some cases. Uh, it, it does. There, there's an actual Jedi religion. Um, recognized by the United States government because it's true. Like in, there's so many, there's so many things like Star Wars in, but in different parts of the world that have become as important to, to like cultural lexicon as as Star Wars is to America. So is soccer to Brazil. It's quite literally an entire lifestyle to so many people where where it affects their their decisions they it affects well i can't do this today because this is on you know this game is on tv this is uh you know they gotta wear this shirt on this day because last time you wore it the team won right it's actually sports fandom is is very similar in a lot of ways very similar and it it's steeped in a little superstition but but also but entirely on this idea of, of of faith of um of being wholly committed to something that has given you uh, joy and hope. And, and it is not completely ridiculous to say that that just is star Wars for so many people. It's become such an important part of their lives. 
Yeah, and I think that's, you know, to to kind of veer off a second into fandom and culture in that direction, it's part of why people take Star Wars movies so seriously is because these movies uh, definitely hold an especially important part of a lot of people's uh, hearts and minds. Um, and, and I think part of that stems from this idea of canon, that there are things that uh, that that all of Star Wars can be known, that it's a living, breathing universe that you can uh, very much live in if you so choose. Um, and when parts of that universe uh, seem to suddenly change or grow in directions you weren't expecting, uh, the defensive reaction, while not necessarily valid, because after all, these are movies about space wizards, um, is understandable, at least. <laughs> Um, and look, I really love Star Wars. God, I really love Star Wars. Um, so, uh, but really there's, there's also this, this question of, you know, when it comes to canon, um, we have the films and books and comics that are all kind of connected and understood to be canon. Um, but there's also supplemental materials such as visual guides or Wikipedia entries, um, that you know, kind of kind of add into that idea of canon that that there's always a little bit more information to get and that you can collect it and collect it. But the theme park rides based on Star Wars, I think, are really unique because they kind of try to walk the line uh, between canon and non. They kind of want to give audiences, perhaps many of whom are not super fans, um, the experience that they expect of a Star Wars ride while also not offending um perhaps your your canonically uh driven uh <laughs> fan of the series that was very um, diplomatically said <laughs> thank you and uh, really my question with with star tours especially is to what degree do the rides based on this franchise this extremely important popular wide-ranging franchise um to what degree are they canon and what is unique about their position in canon as experiential pieces of media? Because these are not movies that can be, like, popped in and turned on and watched. They're lived experiences for their audiences, just like any other theme park ride. They invite you in, and they make you part of the story, um, which is really, really interesting. So we're going to talk about both versions of Star Tours today. Uh, in terms of their connection to canon. So, Alice, let's start with Star Tours, the original, which uh, longtime listeners will know is a favorite of mine, especially. And I have a lot to say about this ride, and we're going to have other episodes uh, mostly focused on it because it's just that important. But I'm particularly interested in its framing narrative today uh, because... Star Tours is, is really, really unique in that it's not just walk in and you're in a Star Wars adventure. Like there's a story to be told in the queue um, and classic Star Tours really leaned into this aesthetic of it's a Star Wars airline. It's and a Star Wars are, airline. How cool is that? It's the it's a Star thing. Wars airline. You're 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 getting on what is essentially a minivan, except bigger, in space, and you're just going on vacation to the Endor moon. Like that's that, really really cool. That old uh, safety video with the flight attendant with the really cool hair and yeah, she's got basically a Princess Leia bun, but it's like big and only on one side it's so cool and it's just and it's it's an airline but it's star wars theme it's so yeah it's my dream <laughs> in the first part of the queue uh there was this old video that uh basically showed off all the different star wars planets which were only the star wars planets that existed um up to 1988 so um Endor. Hoth, Endor, Tatooine, the Death Star, <laughs> um, Yavin, Yavin, Bespin. Um, so you know, kind of five or six, a handful of planet Dagobah, um, and they they would show off these planets and they'd be like, "Here's a reason to visit Hoth. 
Hoth has, presumably, great skiing. Ride a tauntaun <laughs> through the snow. Uh, die if you stay out at night. You know, Hoth stuff. It was, it was like part airline, part travel agency, if you were in yeah. the Star Wars universe. And and that was really that was always really interesting to me because it stuck out as a weird detail that was a thing that really didn't feel uh, Star Warsy. In Star Wars, uh, I never imagined that Luke and Obi Wan could have been like, "Oh man, this this cantina is really bad, man. Let's just get a couple of tickets on the next Star Tour to Alderaan and like let's just get on <laughs> let's get on the equivalent of a seven forty seven and just fly there. We'll be there in a couple of hours. It's no big deal. Probably they'll serve in flight snacks. Like, <laughs> like I, I, it really doesn't seem Star Warsy to me. It seems like a, a very strange." Uh, thing that there would be a, like a transit company in space uh, and it's never mentioned anywhere in the films actually solo might have been the closest we ever got to one uh, which is they they go to a star wars airport terminal basically um, to get right. off of corellia security checkpoints and boarding passes and the whole yeah and that's really not how Star Tours is presented, though. I mean, uh, there there are um, baggage checks. You know, you, it, there's these uh, conveyor belts above the queue that have some Star Warsy looking luggage that go past. The new droid does check the luggage with an X-ray. That's very cool. Um, so you get you get this uh, kind of taste of what that might be like. But uh, the Star Tours terminal uh, does exist as a space station. Uh, and Alice, I'm not sure if you remember this from the old ride, but this is a, a very clear detail. It's not on a planet. It's a station, kind of a, a halfway point between other destinations that you come into yes. landing on later at the end of the ride. Um, you remember that. It was like a satellite so, station. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not on a planet. Star Wars kind of exists out in space. It's its own thing. Um... And so so just think about that for a moment. Like, what kind of a person might you be if you're writing Star Tours? Uh, you're probably not a uh, rebel sympathizer or at the very least, you're not a rebel um, because that would be yeah. a thing that a criminal would be doing. And you can't just get on a passenger jet as a wanted member of a resistance group. No, you're probably a citizen of the Empire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on. like, yeah, you, you probably have like an ident card, an ID chip or something like that. And you probably purchased tickets with uh, Imperial credits. You're not from a cantina on Tatooine. You're not an outlaw. Um, you're, you're probably just somebody on vacation, right? Looking for a good time on the mood of Endor. Hug some Ewoks. That sounds great. There's an Imperial outpost on the mood of Endor. There's plenty of reasons to be there. It seems like a nice, safe vacation. Um, sure. And, and that's, that's interesting to me because that means you're probably, you're not a bad guy in the Star Wars universe, but you are just like a regular guy. Um, and I, I mean, guy is a non-gendered, non-pejorative, just, you know, term of... Californian of term. You just mean like a guy. You're just a guy. Um, so you are like just a normal, regular, average Joe um who's getting on this this bus and then all of a sudden you're in a combat zone um so cuz the the story of star tours to the to those who are unversed uh is that you board your star speeder and your pilot droid seems a little off he makes a couple of mistakes as you exit um and the pilot's name is Rex uh and you you get out of star tours station you jump to light speed you pass Endor, you run into some comets, um, you blast your way through those comets, then suddenly you get locked into a tractor beam as a Star Destroyer is pulling you in, and then you ease off on your main thrusters, which is a weird, weird thing to do when caught in a tractor beam. I feel like if you could just ease off on your main thrusters and get out of the tractor beam, tractor beams wouldn't be very effective. Um, but you ease off of your main thrusters, you end up looking at the Death Star, then you join a squadron of X-Wings in destroying the Death Star. And Killing that's... millions. <laughs> probably millions. Probably you have at least a cousin or two aboard that Death Star. Um, which is really, really 
I mean, when you frame it like that, when you there's this Alice, I know you know about this. There's this subreddit called The Empire Did Nothing Wrong, uh, which is an interesting creative exercise, right? Like how how can we make the bad guys seem like they were trying to do a good thing? Um, And if you want a perspective on that in Star Wars canon, Claudia Gray's book Lost Stars is it has a character that is um an, an an officer in the empire who truly believes that she's out doing the right thing and mm-hmm. she uh is an officer in the empire's um uh who loses friends on the death star and she's really you know truly believes that what she's doing is helping people until she's faced with evidence that is you know too much to too much to bear and she turns and it's all it's wonderful it's a really good book if you want that perspective from a canon perspective not a fan fiction perspective right it's the way to go and and that's that's really kind of an interesting perspective to take right that the empire i mean this is how they advertise themselves in solo of course is bringing peace and order to the galaxy uh you got to you got to bring everybody under one rule so that everybody can live in peace. And that's an interesting, I mean, that's certainly a, a fascist ideology, right? But that's also, <laughs> you could have people who believe in that or people at least who, who don't necessarily disagree and just are trying to make their way in the galaxy. Um, so you could see where that might be kind of cognitive dissonance. But Star Wars isn't concerned with that because, after all, it is a theme park, right? And the rebels are the good guys from Star Wars, right? So you hop in and Rex is like, oh, no, let's help the rebels. And you you do. And you, you blast a couple of TIE fighters and you watch the blow photon torpedoes. The yeah, and they, they blow up the Death Star. And then you jump to hyperspace just as the Death Star blows up and... Then you go back to Star Wars base and, and I, I guess get arrested as soon as you get off the, the plane. Because um, the, the star speeder that you were in um, blew up the Death Star. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's don't it's know very confusing. Because you know who was driving your 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 um, Star Tours ship it was not just. Captain Rex from the cockpit. Um, but they loaded your navigator R2D2. Right. R2-D2. So the known rebel sympathizer droid got placed in <laughs> got placed yeah. in, in as a navigator for Star Tours. R2D2 like- and C3PO are are present in the line as you wait, working mm-hmm. on a on a on a Star Tours, you know, ship. Presumably they're as spies for the Rebel Alliance or just lost on their way, trying to get back <laughs> with the Rebels. But All sorts of questions like, about what 3PO and R2 are doing there. In the new ride, I believe there's a mention of Captain Antilles, who was their owner between uh, Bail Organa and Luke. Um, so that is possible. <laughs> Yeah, that they're that they're there on a mission. R two D two gets chosen to be your navigator, and he decides, "Hey, you know what? It's time to go be heroes." And then you're just right. along for the ride. That's so R two D two. That's so R two, and he he just he just takes over, um, especially in the new version of the ride. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And, and what I want to talk about very briefly, because we've been talking about this for a little while, is that from a canon standpoint, this entire ordeal is absolutely insane if we're talking about writing it into star wars canon if you're like okay like let's say tomorrow lucasfilm lucas books calls you up and they're like we we really want to write a star tours novelization um and it needs to agree with all pre-established canon it it simply would not be possible um not at all there for one thing that's not how the death star got blown up and we know this because we've seen the Death Star get blown up twice in the movies, and that's just not how it happened. The guy who blows up the Death Star in Star Tours isn't Luke Skywalker. He's George Lucas in an X-Wing or in a pilot helmet. Um, he's he's 
not Luke. Luke isn't there. There's no Han Solo swooping in at the last second. Darth Vader isn't anywhere to be seen. This isn't the Death Star Trench run. It is a Death Star Trench run, which I think is a really interesting uh, condition to put it under. Yeah, maybe in, in the Star Tours version of canon, there was a third Death Star. And you're a the third one worst Death Star. <laughs> a third worst Death Star that, that the Rebels just casually took out and, and nobody cared about. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Maybe, right? It's a big it's a big galaxy. The Empire is very powerful. They could they could build another Death Star. Um, next to Endor, which is where they built the second Death Star and it got we, blown up. We went, we went past the Endor moon, remember? Oh right. Yeah, but you know, that was sublight, so it couldn't have been that far. Anyways, what I'm saying That's is true. Yeah, we cut in the sublight engines there. What I'm saying is it's not canon. It isn't, no. it right? Isn't. It it is not, and the the question, I guess, Alice is 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 it important that it is canon or that it has any relationship to canon? I don't think so. I don't think that's important. It's certainly a strange outlier for an IP that otherwise is so controlled. As far as like, no, this is canon and this is not canon, um, and very, you know, very measured in how they release content. Um, but I think that it doesn't matter that it's not canon. I think That's interesting. It's just a good ride. And and when you when you set out to make a theme park ride, I feel like the first goal should always be to make a good ride. Um, and to kind of to kind of add the details in in a way that that kind of makes sense and that the audience can agree with uh, and that uh, frames the story really well. I mean, I really like the aesthetic of Star Tours, uh, the original Star Tours, because it's kind of grungy. Um, it kind of matches that 1970s style. Um, and I really love especially the way that the droids are designed. Um, I'm a huge, huge droid fan. Uh, and the droids lately coming out of the Disney movies, especially K2SO and L3, have been so cool. Um, but, but I really, really miss, I really miss Captain Rex so much. Because the droid was so much personality. (laughs) And it's mine too. (laughs) Uh, Alice, I, I, I gotta admit something to you. Um, do you have a second? Uh, yeah, you know what? Um, why don't you just, uh, come on over here and step into my office? Yeah, are we, are we about to have an aside? I think we are. Oh, okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and walk over to your office now. Um, and I'm just gonna go, like, uh, I'm gonna take a few steps. Uh, and those steps are gonna sound like, uh... And then I'm going to kind of trip and oh, whoa, I tripped. (laughs) Um, But now I'm going to sit down um, in your office and I'll go ahead and close the door. Okay. Oh, thank you. Uh, Alice, now now that we're alone, I got to I got to tell you. There's a lot about Captain Rex, who is my favorite Star Wars droid ever that really bugs me and the most important line that he utters in the entire ride is it was my first flight and I'm still getting used to my programming because I feel like that blows the whole Star Wars universe wide open in terms of droids in general like it also kind of doesn't really make sense because right? programming is programming, and you just do it. Like right, it, it's a it's a set a of pre preordained cr- conditions under which robots act a certain way. It's programming. It's a program, and and to to say that Captain Rex has this personality, and that his unique personality kind of makes him incompatible with the pilot droid software that he's been given. But he's like 
he's built to be a pilot droid. He he sits on a stationary base next to the controls. He has little arms that are designed just to pull the levers that control the star speeder. Like he's a pilot. He's built to be and programmed to be a pilot. What happened to this guy <laughs> along the okay. way? <laughs> okay, in in true those happy places uh, <laughs> style, I'm going to throw a little a little bit of a of a rationality into this, and hopefully, okay. hopefully, calm you down just a smidge. I'm really worried but about Rex. Droids have personalities. We know okay. this. They yeah. have built in personalities. Maybe mm. that line, just getting used to my programming, is Rex lying to make an excuse. Are you kidding me? Are, are capable of lies. I, I absolutely they are. They are. They are. And and 3 po who is not programmed to lie, um, lies when Luke is like, just do it to the Ewoks about them being gods. And he um, does. He like goes and he and just like goes makes a conscious decision to do it. Yeah. And so and R2 R2 has attitude and spunk and initiative. Um, K2 has sarcasm. L3 has a sense of uh, personal freedom and uh, personality. And honestly, the Star Wars universe has grown so much since 1988 when Rex said the line, which is that he was still getting used to his programming and don't anybody forget it. But like... I really like uh, Chopper from Rebels as well. He's another droid. He was a veteran of the Clone Wars. He's grumpy. He's violent. It's really interesting to see the way that droids can be kind of changed by their experiences, especially L3, who is a a favorite of mine from Solo as well. Um, And the way that she took personal pride in the way that she had kind of built herself and altered herself and collected parts and knowledge that made her special. But Rex is naive. Like, I I am sure that Rex does not know what he's doing. But then again, he must be a pretty good pilot because he navigates the Death Star trench run in a minivan. Like And the comets. And the comets. Like, and that can't just be R2, right? Because Rex is Rex at some point agrees with what's happening. He's like, okay, let's do this. Always wanted to blow up a Death Star. I think that the real line is, I've always wanted to do this. Which is so interesting. I think I think you're right. I think Rex is what we witness with Captain Rex, especially, is the birth of a rebel droid. Uh the birth of a droid that is rejecting part of its programming. Uh and s- you know what? I, I was ready to come into this and leave it completely unresolved. But you, you, I blew it wide open and you closed it right back up. We put it back in the jar. Now it works in continuity again. I'm really excited. I, I'm not worried about Rex anymore. I think he's got a great future ahead of him right after that ride. Yeah, I think, I think you don't have to worry about Rex. Thank you so much, Alice. I feel a lot better now that we've had this aside. No problem, buddy. Can we get? Can we, do you mind if we get back on topic, though? Yeah, let's <laughs> let's do. So, Alice, we talked about the uh, classic Star Tours and how it's pretty much not canon, right? Uh, n- now, I think we should move on to Star Tours: colon, The Adventures Continue, which is the updated version of the ride, which includes 3D elements uh, and this very cool variation system that will be the topic of another episode. Right. Variants ride, variant rides deserve, deserve their own uh, episode. Uh, yeah, they deserve but, their own topic. But in this updated version of Star Tours, there's even more going on in terms of continuity. It's it's a it introduces a whole different set of things to worry about as far as canon goes. Yeah, um, like the, the question of what is true and not true in Star Tours, the adventures continue. Or as we might just call it, Star Tours 2, or since we have no time, ST2. ST2, um, Star, Star Tours 2, Electric Boogaloo? Yeah. Uh, so as uh, Electric Boogaloo uh, still takes place in the Star Tours terminal, that's where we start out, right? 
Right. And it's almost the same. The first part of the pre-show is almost exactly the same. You still are treated to a side view of the ship that you're presumably going to be going on. Um, you R2 and 3PO are there. R2 and 3PO working on the ship. You get a big departures board um, with uh, new and updated destinations, including Kashyyyk and um, uh, Canto Bight and uh, all sorts of new places that weren't previously available in the 1988 version of the ride. Right. Um, and the thing about all of that and all of the all of the little updates is that for me, they've always felt a little less like less personal. Uh, they, they felt less warm, um, but they're they're very much the same thing. Uh, maybe maybe it's just my nostalgia goggles not letting me enjoy it as much, but they're, they're the same basic idea. You know, you still, uh, the, get the, treated, you still get treated to the occasional small video of a uh, maybe next vacation you want to choose. Naboo. Mustafar. <laughs> <laughs> I want to try Mustafar. I want to go lava surfing and uh, die if I go outside. Oh, wait, it's just like Hoth. Except it's just like, like Hoth, but the opposite. opposite. Um, you know, you can, you can, it'll show you clips from the prequels showing celebrations on Naboo and Coruscant. Um, it's literally just like reused footage from, uh, from uh, the prequels. Yeah. From the prequels, which is fine and cute. Yeah. And it's reintroducing you to some locations that you might've forgotten about. Um, and, but your usuals are still on there. Hoth and Bespin and, and the forest moon of Endor. Yeah. They're all there. And and I think the the renewed uh, Q elements are very much focused on driving home the fact that it's a it's an airport. Uh, there's a baggage check droid that was just it used to be a, a droid repair droid, which is a weird sentence to say, but it used to just be <laughs> working on the same droid all the live long day. Um, and now he checks baggage. Uh, and there's also a Patrick Warburton droid, who is my favorite voice actor at Disneyland. Um, and he, uh, x-rays you as you go through and, and comments on the, on the audience as they walk through. So that's all very cool. Um, and we still have a pre-flight safety message. This time it's from one of the diner robots from Rex, Dex's diner, um, uh, from Attack of the Clones. Clone, yeah, Attack of the Clones. Um, now she's a flight attendant droid. It works pretty well. Um, but there's also this new story, um, and that story is that the new Rex units, which can walk around and are, like, beefy for some reason. Did you ever <laughs> notice that? They're, like, yeah. they're, they're designed to be, like, handsome droids, except with, like, Rex's face. Rex, you got good looking. <laughs> um, so he, uh, the droid is like, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go drink and oil i don't know what droids do on their free time um and 3po is like oh captain you better come back soon and then 3po accidentally gets in the cockpit and ends up your pilot so that's that's fun i feel like it has a little less personality than having a, a pilot droid messing up and kind of like taking you on the adventure with them but 3PO being there is nice and familiar and it does make for a, a more star warsy kind of milieu for lack of a better word say milieu again milieu <laughs> how did you say it <laughs> milieu milieu sure it's very it's très french you know milieu yeah, yeah sure <laughs> um so so 3PO ends up in this in the driver's seat and R2 of course is your navigator again um but there's a little bit more story this time right well, there's more story and less story at the same time. It's really interesting. Right. Because now you are... Uh, and, and and this has changed a couple of times even since uh, since the updated ride. Um, now you suddenly are found in possession of a rebel spy on board. Uh, they single out an, an audience member says you're the you're the rebel spy you know and 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 turns out you were a rebel ship this whole time and it lets yeah. you kind of instead of pretending that you're an imperial you know you you've been you've been rebels all along yeah and you've been R2 you've been drafted into the rebellion 
R2D2 and C3PO are your friends and you recognize them and love them and go along willingly on the ride. And then there's the variant elements, um, which have kind of been cut back a little bit since the re- uh, since right before the release of The Last Jedi, um, where they changed it, where where because it because there was like a certain number of beginnings, a certain number of middles, and a certain number of ends, and they would shuffle, and you'd have a different ride each time. But now it always ends on on crate where the last Jedi right. ends. Right, um, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think because in this exact ride, um, in earlier versions, you could experience uh the assault on Echo Base on Hoth, and then you could experience a battle above Coruscant, and then you could end up on Naboo with uh, going, the surrounding... With the Gungans. Going right, with the Gungans. And, and these are all events that are from the films and familiar, sure, but they're supposedly separated by decades um, and uh, entire generations of characters. Like... Nobody, very few people who were at the battle above Coruscant ended up at the attack on Echo Base, except for like Darth Vader, who <laughs> is a robot man who uses the Force. I would like to remind you all. Um, and also, and also Wedge Antilles, who is apparently at every battle forever. Oh yeah, Wedge Antilles can never die. Um, he's, he's the only one that's in every battle scene in the original trilogy. <laughs> Because he's the best pilot and Luke Skywalker stole all of his glory by being a not robot man who uses the force. And I will not let Wedge Antilles be forgotten. Um, But, you know, in in the ride, you can also meet Darth Vader, but you can also meet Kylo Ren. And you can not alive at the same time. And they're not alive at the same time, but you can meet them while sitting in the very same chair. Sure, not in the same ride, like not in the same ride instance, right? But Darth Vader can stop your ship. Kylo Ren can stop your ship. You can meet Maz Kanata or you can have Yoda call your ship. And we never see them in the same place at the same time, though presumably they did live through the same decades. Um, they were both you like can 900 meet, people. Yeah, you can meet Finn and Poe or you can meet Admiral Akbar. And yes, Poe did know Admiral Akbar, but this seems like a younger Admiral Akbar. Just my opinion. Um, and so I just... My question is, is this a time travel ride? And if so, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't I don't think so. I think just once again it's a non-canon adventure. And maybe maybe being too concerned with the canon of Star Tours is going to drive us insane. And and I, I got to say that uh, you know, I I really do enjoy Star Wars colon the adventures continue. Um, right, Star Tours 2, colon, Electric Boogaloo. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the question for me is like, okay, so you can have all of these iconic Star Wars moments and you can line them up in a bunch of different orders. And that's very, very cool. And you can even throw new ones in as new movies come out. Because the first time I rode the ride, once it had Crate, um or even the first time I wrote it and it had Jakku and you meet Finn and you fly through the Star Destroyer. Like, oh, that is so cool. I, I clapped. I, I cheered. I was ecstatic. It's so cool that you can go to the theater and watch this movie and then you can live those moments right then. After all, that's what Star Tours always was. It was your chance to live the trench run. Um, more than anything for me as a kid, that's what it represented. It was like, I get to shoot TIE fighters. I get to be part of blowing up the Death Star. I love that scene in Star Wars, and now I'm in it. And that's so important to have. Um, yeah. And then to have the battle on crate and to have Star Tours uh, run into Hux and Hux be like, destroy them. And then you blow up Hux's walker. And it's so great. And it just makes you... F- feel the energy and, and feel like part of it. Um, and, and that's what Star Wars is. But then again, is that what Star Wars... <laughs> Sorry, let me try again. But then again, what, is that what Star Wars needs to be? Shouldn't Star Wars kind of have its own 
story, its own kind of thing. Like it's a brand new Star Wars adventure uh, where you get to do something different. Um, or couldn't it be that? Um, couldn't we? Couldn't we have it have its own personality? I wonder why the choice was made to kind of remove it from continuity and and place it into this kind of pocket dimension, and then almost always concern itself with showing you pieces of continuity. Um, when when really we could be exploring all new ideas. I completely agree. It would be really interesting to see if in the future they start adding scenes where you fly through a you know a, a, a planet that you've heard of but has never been seen on screen before. You're like, here you go, here's this new place. You know the name, here's what it really looks like. And it's like a an expanded universe of Star Wars. Oh. <laughs> there you go. I like that a lot. Um, and and so I wonder if it's if it's maybe the strongest possible choice to say this is not canon. It, it can never be canon. In fact, it's so not canon that there's time travel in this. That's how not canon it is. <laughs> um, or maybe if there's a, a stronger choice for the right itself to not concern itself with all of that and, and maybe to worry about telling a really great story about an, a space airline guys so cool <laughs> coolest thing the space airline i love mundane stuff like that i love it's the same i do the same thing with like harry potter and and all these other worlds where i'm like yeah here's what we know what our heroes are up to but what was like the random dude you know in in harry potter what were the hufflepuffs up to you know what what, what yeah. you know what were the ravenclaws What's it up like? to like What's it like to own the three broomsticks or the leaky cauldron? Like, what's it like to be a wizard bartender? What are the regular Joes doing in Star Wars? And maybe they just want to go on a vacation on a space airline. So, right, they're making this entire Star Wars land, Galaxy's Edge, and it's got a name. It, we know that it's on this planet, Batu, and we know that it's uh, the Spire, Black Spire Outpost is what this place is called. And we know that there's going to be factions and live shows and a story contained there all its own. And it raises a lot of those same questions about what is canon and what is not and how concerned the theme park needs to be with that sort of thing. And uh, probably we won't know until opening day of 2019 when this when this place finally becomes available to us. Um, but until then, um, my fingers are crossed for a very, very immersive canon experience. Yes, and you can um, you can keep following us on Twitter to see our near weekly uh, hype freak out about it. Near weekly, I'm I'm near daily at this point. Every time they announce something new about it, I am um, completely 100 percent there. Um, but you know, Alice, there there was one more thing we wanted to mention today uh, before we signed off. Yeah, we have just uh, one last little thing um, about one, one last little thing about. Uh, a world that a land that truly seems to exist within its within its own universe within its own canon and it is exclusive to Disneyland we're talking of course of Toontown Mickey's Toontown <laughs> which is uh, it's so funny to say but um Toontown looks looks and feels like a place that would make sense for Mickey and friends to live in. Um, yeah. It feels canon. It feels true. And there's so much about that place that that is important to, I think. You want kids to go and believe it, right? Like, that's part of the, the joy of Toontown, is that Mickey really does live there if you believe that he does. So that's the right. goal. And it's not like... Um, it's not like other parts of the park where you can stumble upon and and meet, um, you know, so many different characters from so many different IPs, like in the same spot, uh, characters that would have ne never have a, a reason to hang out. In Toontown, these characters are, are isolated and you meet them in their home. You meet Mickey in his home. You can meet Minnie in her home where you expect them to be. And there's no random character running around to break that canon or ruin that immersivity. Toontown is super unique and special in that way. 
it's it's so funny like toontown has a fire department it has a apartment building it has a factory a power station um it has a farm where goofy lives it has city hall and a gas station and a mass transit system and donald lives in a boat because of course he does and chip and dale live in a tree because of course they do (laughs) and mickey of course lives in this huge house with an attached barn because he's in movies and he needs a place to make his movies and that all just rings so true even though there isn't really a dedicated toontown canon there's not like a a book or a set of cartoons that are taken as true because these things are so kind of loosey-goosey like you see mickey's house you you and i were talking about this right the only times we see mickey's house is like in those old uh what were they called like silly symphony yeah like we might kind of see mickey's house for a second but we don't see his neighborhood like it's not it's never laid out that way um and and yet here toontown is and it feels real and true and doesn't seem to contradict anything because it's so well thought out and it's amazing and adorable (laughs) all right uh alice i think that brings our conversation about canon in theme parks and their attractions to an end that's right but before we go we want to talk uh to mention of course our, our weekly shout outs to some of our very favorite twitter interactions this week so uh first up we want to give a shout out to uh, a new friend and follower uh th ponders who is at th ponders on twitter um and his podcast which is called accession um which both of us, uh, Buddy and I both listened to the first episode of, and we loved. I went and left a review. Uh, it's a really interesting look at art and art spaces, and uh, we just absolutely adore it. Uh, TH Ponders is the newest member of our Pottern family, <laughs> that is, uh, podcast producers, which whom we are now best Twitter friends. Uh, best Twitter friends. Best Twitter friends. So thank you. Um, I wish I had something shorter to say that TH ponders. I, I don't know your real like name. Um, but uh, thank you for the, uh, for the interaction and the shout out and the review on iTunes. You're, uh, you're, you're darling. And uh, thank you. Uh, speaking of TH ponders, uh, we have a special shout out for our friend and uh, constant companion on Twitter, Charles Gustine, uh, who introduced TH ponders to our podcast. So now our Pottern family is helping us grow our Pottern family. And I'm just so excited for the ways that we podcasters are helping each other podcast more and better all the time. Uh, We also want to shout out to uh, Will Williams at uh, Will W underscore rights. Gavin at um, at the pod report. Ellie uh, at uh SHO underscore or M-A-R-Q show mark. Show mark. Show mark. <laughs> uh to all of you for being very excellent podcast guides. Um you can check out their uh respective podcasts um uh tuned in, dialed up and podcast problems. Podcast problems is a is a article series on problems that many podcasts have. What? Um and I was just reading it and it is so informative and helpful and it's actually helping us grow our audience and think about our podcast in new ways so i really really appreciate will gavin and ellie for all of the great material that you guys are putting out uh for podcasters and for the community yeah that's absolutely incredible i've got one last very special shout out i um uh had a a nice conversation with uh (laughs) Uh, goes goes by Pthug on uh, on Twitter, uh, also known as at Herman Twenty Two, um, who showed off their incredibly gorgeous um, Star Wars book collection, book and comic, and other like um, physical media. Like the has the collection of every single uh, current Star Wars canon uh, book and and comic series uh, on display. This absolutely beautiful bookshelf. Um, I think I was reading that conversation. Wasn't P Thug saying that he keeps it in chronological as as best to his abilities? Chronological order, so, so not in order of release, but finds out where it sits in canon and then 
puts it in there on their bookshelf, which is just absolutely amazing. It kind of baffles me that you can kind of scan your shelf and pick a, an era, a time and, and say, I want to read or watch or play from here. Um, that's so cool. And so only cool. with Star Wars can you do that. And so cool in, in context with um, our, our theme this week and, um, and, and gave me some really, really excellent recommendations for the next book that I should pick up uh, in my uh, continued education on expanded uh, and canon universe um, Star Wars stuff. I thought I yeah, was man. a fan, but man, you guys all make me look really bad. <laughs> <laughs> but fandom is not a competition. It is not. Oh, and I'm just excited to know that there's so much more that I can that I can experience for the first time. So, uh, so uh, thank you for those recommendations and the lovely conversation on Star Wars canon. And to everybody that we interact with on Twitter, thank you so much for uh, shouting us out, uh, following us, hitting like, retweeting, whatever it is you do. We really appreciate it. Any little bit helps. Um, so keep interacting with us. It is the best part of being a podcaster. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Those Happy Places. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. The research for this episode was done by Alice White and edited by Buddy Duquesne. This episode was produced by Alice White and edited by Buddy Duquesne. Our theme music is Golden Gate by the California Feet Warmers, featuring Phil Alvin. Find the Feet Warmers on YouTube or on their website, CaliforniaFeetWarmers.com. Additional music for this episode comes from Poddington Bear on the Free Music Archive. Check out his and other artists' work at freemusicarchive.org. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends. Send people to our website at www.thosehappyplaces.com and join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thosehappyplaces, where we're always talking about theme parks and ideas for future episodes. We're also on Twitter. That's right. I'm at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And I'm at Alice White THP for those happy places. Thanks for listening, and we hope you return to those happy places. 